1: It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood, Wednesday, October 28th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do-it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, and as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day, and we'll try to put the fun in functional sports content at the same time. And, Kev, we have crowned a World Series champion. Our good friend George Kurtz called it the COVID Corral. Well, the winners of it all are the Los Angeles Dodgers they win it in six games they beat the Tampa Bay Rays last night three to one they win it in six games Blake Snell was good again but then he got pulled to the delight of all of the Dodgers bats Mookie Betts scores a run Mookie Betts then goes yard they win three to one let me tell you something though Randy Rosarena will not go down without a fight he goes yard but you know it was the only run for the Rays and I think that is endemic of what we saw this whole time and this whole World Series, Kev. The Tampa Bay Rays bats just weren't as strong, weren't as consistent, especially outside of a Rose Arena. You know, Brandon Lau chipped in a little bit, but they just did not have the one through nine lineup of the Los Angeles Dodgers where it could come from anywhere. And they are your World Series champions taking it down in six games.
2: The Dodgers were the best team all season long. I do truly believe they are a team that warrants a seat at the table when you talk about all-time teams. Run Mm -hmm. differential per game, winning percentage albeit 60 games, the Lineup and the arms justify that conversation as well. Where are the easy outs littered with MVP caliber players? And look at what their bullpen did here to close this out. The Rays bullpen, rightfully so, gets the headlines coming into the series. And in the deciding game, the Dodgers bullpen, seven and a third, two hits, no runs. No earned runs, right? No runs at all. Mm -hmm. No walks. No walks. Mm -hmm. Strikeout 12. I mean, almost perfect baseball from this bullpen. But let's get straight to it. The, well, before the game ended, the moment of this World Series, the decision to pull Blake Snell, I think it was the right decision. To the point where I backed the Rays. For the first time, I backed the side with my own dollar when he pulled Blake Snell because it was the right decision. Blake Snell, remember game two, was perfect. Was perfect. And then we got into the fifth, and he walks Kike Hernandez, gives up a two-run shot to Chris Taylor, walks Mookie Betts, gives up a hit to Corey Seager, and gets yanked. But it's not the story because they have a four-run lead when that all happened. So we move past it. The reality is Blake Snell not as good the third time around. look are crazy analytics. Those are easy numbers to understand. And he went to his bullpen, and Anderson blew it.
1: But I think it was the right decision, Dane. All right. Fair enough. As we now welcome in our radio audience from around the country, around the globe, in fact, thanks for getting on the grid early with Kevin and I, you know, and you're right. Kev, they just come from everywhere, right? The bats, one through nine, the arms they have, the young arms they have that have been able to crank out when guys like Dustin May and Urias and Gonsalin, you know, are are just coming out of nowhere and they're not done, you know, like they have other kids, blocks that we still haven't heard of, right? They just turned Will Smith into one of the best catchers, you know, in the league. So it absolutely does come from everywhere. I want to give a tip of the cap and a shout out to a guy, Kev. I don't think you know this, who I actually know in real life, Andrew Friedman, the GM of the Dodgers, who, by the way, was previously the GM of the Tampa Bay Rays, and got their young talent, and got them to a World Series in the last decade, so Friedman obviously pushing all the right buttons, including getting Mookie Betts onto this team, which was likely the cherry on top. Let's give a big shout-out, Kev, to Corey Seager, who was the World Series MVP. MVP, Kev. He was also the NLCS MVP. I mean, the man hit 400. The man had a a slugging percentage of 700 and on base of 550. That's an OPS, Kev, of over 1.25. Can you imagine that, fantasy people, if you get that kind of OPS in a week or in a season? But to me, the point is, Kev, if going into this playoffs, let's say, you would have probably listed off four or five names before you got to Corey Seager, right? In terms of the bats that were going to be dominant for this Dodgers lineup. You would have said Cody Bellinger. You would have said Mookie Betts. You would have said Max Muncie maybe, or Justin Turner, maybe. Before you even get to Corey Seager, it just shows the absolute depth of
2: this championship team. And that's the reality. They've been doing this for a long time now. This team goes to the World Series three of four years, loses to the World Series champion the last three consecutive seasons because it was the Nats who took them out. They didn't get to the dance. They got here. They were the best team in baseball. Will it ultimately be remembered for the championship or for what happened after? Mm. It's to the eye of the beholder. but this was the best team in baseball, and I don't believe there's an asterisk on this World Series winner.
1: Nah, that's interesting i agree with you in all time conversations maybe it'd be different with a 60 game season but we'll talk about what you're referencing the big story coming out of this when we come back Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Kevin and I just discussed that the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know, and Kev, it's fitting for me. Like, they, this, this Dodgers team, right, deserve to get one, in my opinion, right? Like, you talk about how they went through with the Astros and the Red Sox and, you know, with cheating teams over the last couple of years. I almost, and you and I kind of are Yankees fans, right? We feel like, hey, we should have earned one in there too. judge should be the 2017 MVP that sort of thing I feel like Dodgers fans are owed that as well they were a quality team from the last what five years and I think they deserve to get one and they do so we tip our cap to the Los Angeles Dodgers who win the World Series four games to two Kev there was a very interesting story though um that was going down like live as this was happening right Kev so Justin Turner of the los angeles dodgers i guess had one of those inconclusive tests yesterday or two days ago right and so what they did was kind of fast track the results of the you know the second confirmation test and kev that turned up positive during game six and so then they decided to pull him right Okay, fine. But then after the man we now know has COVID, he's out there celebrating with his boys, touching the trophy, taking the team picture, sitting right next to his aging manager, Dave Roberts. Um, And then Major League Baseball was like, "Yo, we got to get him off the field. And he refused to do so. This was the moment he's been working his entire life for to celebrate a championship with his teammates. This was crazy. And I know you probably had to manage it from a crazy perspective, seeing it like on in-game live.
2: Oh, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, in-game live went, I basically had no ability to process what I was seeing. The reality of it all is, I mean, baseball started a mess, right? Like, it was a mess. Before we played any games, these two sides could not come together and figure out whether they were coming or going. And ultimately, they figured it out, right? And then uh, the day of... Right, I think it was the season started. They then refixed the playoff format. A mess. Right, and then what? Three days into the year, we had the Marlins players decide that they were going to play through positive tests. Right, a mess. And then we shortly a after, right? <laughs> a group oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then shortly after, the Cardinals have an outbreak. A mess. Right, and then yeah. the the baseball does what is seemingly the impossible. Have positive tests come up in a bubble. They they got through all of it. The Marlins, the Cardinals, the negotiations. They there get were lauding how there
1: were no positive tests for, like, what, 54 days or something like that?
2: In the bubble, all of a sudden, we somehow get a positive test. And the questions that have to follow this, were they consistently getting results back during games? What is the point of the tests? I mean, at this point, like, you might as well keep them at home. The reality for baseball it's is... if like that clears you.
1: How are you playing before you're cleared? That's like, we're right. going to get the results of this Correct. MRI. You may have a torn ACL, but you know what? Until we get the test results back, you go run out there off tackle. Yeah, go ahead a couple routes, Odell. That would have been the most insane thing to we'll ever see when the happen. MRI comes
2: back, but otherwise, yeah. go ahead. Stop and go like and this is the this is the reality for baseball fans out there. You are a non-Dodgers comeback away from us right. not having game 7. 7? Yeah. For weeks. Yeah. I don't know how I don't know if how the, the whole Dodgers night, what team. happens. Right. Like I I don't know how there's not an entire outbreak amongst the Dodgers. And I
1: think we need we may to be find honest. out in two days, but that's the case. They we, we may think, find out in 2 days, but then again they may just stop testing them, right?
2: But this is the this is the thing. No, they're all going to be tested and it'll come out, but the reality is baseball saw the finish line. And they said, "No, nah, we're not shutting this down. We're going mm-hmm. through." And that's what they did. They said, "We'll pull Turner and we're going through." And once they crossed the finish line, they said, alright, cool, we're not running the race anymore. The race is over. And Justin Turner just does whatever he wants. And I get it, man. You worked all year for the World Series. Yeah. Like, he's out there. He doesn't have the mask on. They implored the players to make sure they had their masks on during their celebration. Of course they didn't follow it. And, like, I'm not even necessarily mad at them for that. Right. Because, like, what are you expecting? You don't listen when your teacher yells at you on the last day of school? And, no. And they they knew that the test was inconclusive before the game, and sure they should have never been playing the game. They And this is the thing I will make. I will make this point very simply for people, right? They are going to say, ah, oh, can't we just focus on the World Series winner? We got through the season. Do you not think that's what Dane and I want to be doing? Do you think I have any interest in continuing to talk about baseball's failing protocols? None. Zero. I want to talk about how good this Dodgers team is. I want to spend time talking about the Yankees getting back on the horse. I want to sit here and have the weirdest conversation of where I'm defending Kevin Cash, who I outwardly dislike. But instead, this is what we have to do because of the degree to which they just dropped the ball. Like, This being the story is Major League Baseball's fault, not mine, not anybody else's. It's Major League Baseball's fault that the story of the World Series is Justin Turner getting pulled in the eighth inning. It's
1: unbelievable. It's it's, it's a little bit crazy, and I think it does speak a little bit, Kev. You know, we shouldn't go down this path necessarily, but I think it speaks to the entire country kind of getting tired of this and kind of letting their guard down a little bit. You know, in the NFL also, listen, we're having tests. Dawson Knox last week, we didn't understand. The Raiders, right? But it's kind of like we're going to plow through you know that the idea of the fatigue of this and it's a slippery slope as we enter uh the fall and winter months but you know this story will continue to move right but as we do kev all the time after a champion is in crowned right when the lakers won it we immediately look to the odds for next year we started talking about teams like the warriors and the nets and stuff like that so Immediately in kind, they post 2021 World Series odds. Kev, the Dodgers, and as is customary, right? The reigning champions are your favorites. You got the Yankees at 550. I see the Braves 9 to 1. The Padres have some legs at 13 to 1. And on and on we go. Tampa, Chicago, some of the other teams we have been talking about. Kev, I know it is early, I know it is quick. Knee jerk reaction, where is your value for next season? And obviously, there'll be, you know, free agency and movement right. and improvement and all this stuff, right? But what do you like? So, I, I mean, I would
2: tell uh, people that if you have conviction as to where Trevor Bauer is going to land, that Fair. is your value. But I can just tell you a couple of spots that jump out to me. Now, whether they're value okay. or not, I, I'm not positive. But the Astros at 15 to 1 is a bit surprising. Not only that size of a gap between them and the Yankees, but they trail the Rays and the White Sox in the AL odds. When you consider that they were significantly closer to the Yankees before this season started, and then got ultimately as far as they could go without winning the American League, I feel like that might speak volumes to... The expectations of maybe Verlander not being around next year, because hmm. I feel like this team put forward a a good enough showing in the postseason that you know them being passed by by you know your White Sox and again that gap yeah. that exists there uh, jumps out to me and similarly on the NL side of things the Cubs thirty to one. Hmm. I mean that feels like a, a total sell job from the book, and yeah. I'm, again, I'm not telling you I necessarily disagree. But that was a team that was in the top, you know, for all season long for the National League. I understand they dropped the ball to the Miami Marlins, but mm-hmm. to be, you know, off from 25 to one numbers that sit next to the Mets and the
1: Nats, I feel like that is substantial. That's fair. With the Cubs, you know, they're going to be a team that is going to struggle to keep their core together in this offseason. Uh, there's some that could look to bolt Anthony Rizzo just to name one. You know, Kev, I look at these teams that we talk about all the time that are disrespected. And they are consistently disrespected. Kev, how are the Oakland A's 21 to 1? We talk about them all the time as maybe one of the best teams out there. And again, 21 to 1. But if you believe that the evil empire is going to get back on track, plus 550 will do it. We turn our attention to college football with our guy, Joe Lisi. Plenty to discuss. You know I'm lobbying for Chaos Theory. We'll see what he says another weekend when we come back. Welcome back in, everybody, right here onto the early line, including all of our affiliates, radio, video, and otherwise. Thank you for getting up really early with us. Big shout-out, of course, to the mightier 1090 out there in SoCal. They may still be celebrating a Dodgers victory. Just don't get too close to Justin Turner. But we turn our attention now to college football, and when we do that, we bring in our guy. We are going for the two every Wednesday here on the early line as we bring in our guy. Joe Lisi. We had him in last week to kind of talk through the contours of the college football season, and he knows I am rooting for the publics—the perfect storm of chaos because, you know, Cincy, OK State. BYU we'll get into all of that in a little bit but Joe we saw the new top 25 and my biggest question for you is the impact of the Big Ten getting started a little bit later getting started a little bit after everybody right most notably obviously the Hoosiers get that big win against Penn State I still don't know if he lunged and got that two point conversion in but the where place I want to start are the Wolverines Joe. Michigan comes in, they get a good road victory against the Gophers. They row the boat, you know, all that good stuff. They get that W, right? But to me, they zoom all the way up. Milton zooms all the way up in the Heisman voting. Talk to me about the Big Ten's entrance into the, you know, into the arena, shall we say, and the impact that, you know, players and teams are getting after just one week. Yeah,
3: That's a great point, guys. And and thanks for having me. You might see chaos this coming Saturday with, with it being Halloween. Crazy things happen <laughs> in the landscape of college football on Halloween night. So keep an eye out for that. But you're absolutely right in terms of the Big Ten landscape. I agree with you. I think when you look at the Big Ten, I think they're starting at just the right time in terms of the season because you see some of the other conferences guys beat each other up, and when you have Ohio State and you have Michigan with quality Week 1 matchups and victories, they zoom up the charts, and they're sitting in a a positive position right now. I think when you look at Michigan overall, guys, I mean, the biggest thing for me is that they were able to get a critical road win with a new starting quarterback in Joe Milton. He stepped up. Solid performance, but that was a much-needed win for Jim Harbaugh and the crew, because 12-12 and since 2016 on the road or on a neutral field site. Yeah, so, you know, that's the thing, right? Michigan, you know,
2: as Dane Menson goes to 13. I might argue, Joe, that they didn't move up high enough unless Minnesota was completely overrated. But you tell me, is that not maybe the best win Harbaugh's put under his belt at Michigan when you consider, you know, they lose that game. I don't want to say their season's done, but – That's kind of the nature of college football. Every single win really, really does ding you. They were very short-road favorites. and I mean, they get the job done. Look, the 13-6 next next to them, they continue to handle business. That will move up. Is this Michigan team for real? Might this actually be the group that Harbaugh can take to at least a very, very competitive game against Ohio State, if
3: not more? Well, that's a possibility. I mean, they're going to have to run the football the way they did on, on Saturday night against a solid front seven in Minnesota. I think just from perception, though, Minnesota's not Ohio State. They're not Wisconsin. They're not, uh, you know, Penn State in terms of that type of tradition. So, yes, they had a solid season last year, 11-2 and two overall. That's not to take away from what P.J. Fleck and the crew did last year, but they lose a lot of moving parts from last year. Antoine Winfield Jr. was gone. Their starting two running backs were gone as well. So I put a lot of weight into that week one victory for Michigan, but I still need to see more. I need to see them knock off Wisconsin, a big physical offense and defense aligns, and I need to see them go through their arch rival this week, which is Michigan State and then Penn State, before we buy into Michigan. We've They've been there before, guys. They've been a top-10 team, but they haven't been able right. to close the door. We'll see if they can do it in 2020.
1: All right, fair enough, Joe. Any conversation about the Big Ten has to focus around the Ohio State Buckeyes. Justin Fields looking absolutely ridiculous in his first outing, you know, threatening the Heisman and Trevor Lawrence, but they've got a big game this weekend. It's, it's a little less on the marquee because the Nittley Lions went down in their opener, but the Buckeyes travel to Happy Valley. This is a matchup 3-18 in the polls. We know Ohio State will have to, you know, kind of get through the gauntlet to be a there with Bama and Clemson, and this is a tough test in only week two for the Buckeyes. Talk to me about what you think in this game, Ohio State and Penn State, biggest game of the week in my opinion.
3: Yeah, it really is, and they're hoping for a bounce back by Penn State. They lost Journey Brown their week one starting running back, and Noah King goes down this week as well. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Sean Clifford to match Justin Fields' score for score in this matchup. The biggest thing for me is can the Penn State secondary contain those wide receivers for Ohio State? Now, from the series perspective, last three games have been decided by a total of 12 points, And, and Ohio State's won the last three by seven and a half points per game picked up this victory last year by 11 points, but I think it's a tall order. I think Penn State will be in this ballgame from start to finish, but in the end, I do feel that in the fourth quarter, Ohio State gets it done. And keep in mind as well, at home, under James Franklin, since 2016, Penn State an amazing 26-2 straight up. They've won those games by 23.5 points per game, guys.
2: So... You know, look, we're splitting hairs here. Obviously, that's a monster matchup. But if I were to say the story of the Big Ten, it's probably Wisconsin if we're being fair. But this time, it's for all the wrong reasons, right? They have Graham Mertz make his debut uh, nearly perfect, one in completion to five touchdown passes. He tests positive for COVID. The third-string quarterback tests positive for COVID. Jack Cohen already absent through injury, before we even talk about what this means for Wisconsin in the short term, right, Joe, what do you make of the rules that the Big Ten is implementing, the fact that these guys are automatically gone for three weeks, and how does that impact your perception of the league moving forward? I mean, can we even back these teams in the futures market if at a moment's
3: notice the most important guy could be gone for close to a month? I don't think you can, Kevin. I mean, for that specific point, I mean, three weeks is a huge amount of time. I mean, we saw Nick Saban test positive on a Tuesday and he was on the sidelines the following (laughs) Saturday, right? That's amazing. I mean, just think about that. And now Wisconsin, you know, is in a situation where they're really going to have to look at the possible game plan. I mean, the game plan will be affected this coming Saturday against Nebraska. So from the future's perspective, I agree with you. I mean, if Justin Fields go, Goes down and the backup goes down in terms of uh, that type of depth chart or uh, head coach for that matter. What does that mean in yeah. terms of preparation? What does that mean in terms of the mindset for the team, either on the road or at home in that type of environment? And it does have repercussions for both sides of the ball so I agree with you it's going to be very difficult to say this team is going to win the national championship because it could happen in the off season or uh, excuse me in an off week or a bye week as well so yeah I'm staying away from the Big Ten teams in terms of that type of situation but when you look at this matchup for Wisconsin they're going to have to go with a wildcat situation with Nakia Watson and Groshik, they're starting running backs and in my my belief to win this matchup
1: against Nebraska Saturday. That's absolutely crazy. You know, for me, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, inside the bubble or whatever, it's the idea of okay, we have this policy. Now what happens when you have to actually implement the policy or adjudicate the policy? Can you do that in a consistent way, regardless of who the player is, regardless of who the team is? Like, will they have Justin Fields sit out for three weeks if he tests positive in the Buckeyes? It's like, that's their chance, right? What happens when Justin Fields comes down with COVID, like, in two, two weeks from now? Does that going to mean the Buckeyes are, in essence, done? Could be, guys.
3: I mean, that's just, the. unfortunately, the Big Ten wanted to take the safe route. So these are the right. protocols they said that needed to be implemented for them to play the season. And if they dial that back midway through the season because of, of a star player, it's not going to have a good look. And, and really, right. the are not the first thing in terms of the health of the players, right? Yeah. What I wanted to follow up with is, though, what
2: happens when it's, You know, if they let's say Ohio State does get to the college football playoff, let's just forget of of who the player is, any player, you know, what what do they do there? Are they no longer playing under the Big Ten Umbrellas rules? Like, do we do we have any idea how they're meant to
3: handle that? no because if you're wow. saying and they're, they're in the college football playoff if it comes a playoff type of format they're still regulated by big Ten type of rules where you know suspensions can take place and right. if the health of their players are involved, this is one thing that teams have signed on for so it's going to be a wait and see type of approach guys it's not going to be it's not going to be good for the big Ten teams if they make it to the college football playoff and then have to deal with COVID issues.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, one thing I've learned in 2020, whether it's in the, the world of sports or in just our country, right, it's like from the top. The, the, the federal idea of laws or mandates, then there's states, then there's cities, then there's individual decisions, right? And we're seeing that in college football as well. The NCAA will maybe decide something. Then these conferences can do whatever they want, whether they're going to play or not, start late, what have you, whatever rules around suspensions, how to be eligible for a championship game. Then individual schools can decide if they're going to play or what kind of things they're going to have. And then individual athletes can still opt out. And when you have this mishmash, right, of intentions, regulations, requirements, expectations, it becomes a very slippery slope. When we come back on the other side of the break, though, Joe, here's what we're going to do. We're going to zone in on some of the games this week, especially some of the games impacting the teams that go around our chaos theory. Is it possible for BYU? Cincy, Oklahoma State has a big one on the horizon. We will try to figure out if any of these teams are going to fall by the wayside this week when we bring back Joe Lisi on the other side of the break to put the fun and functional sports content right here on The Early Line. Welcome back in everybody right here to the early line giving you the edge on sports grid. We're talking college football. We're going for the two with Joe Malisi. So here's what I got to ask you, Joe. Last week, in case you didn't realize, I am all about the perfect storm of chaos. I want the pollsters. I want the committee to be in the tough spot of having to evaluate an undefeated team that's not a public team up against, you know, maybe a one loss Texas A&M or maybe a one loss uh penn state or something like that that's what i want to see so i want to ask you about the ways that that can happen the first thing that needs to happen in my opinion are teams four and five in the country georgia and notre dame they have to fall by the wayside Right. We expect that Notre Dame will do so against Clemson. We expect Georgia will do so at some point, even if it's an SEC championship game. But I want to ask you, because both of those teams, Joe, this week are on the road in conference matchups. Right. Georgia is at Kentucky. Notre Dame, I believe, is at Georgia Tech are either one of these guys on upset alert, kind of a trap game. I know they are the class of the two teams. Right. But going on the road in conference its never easy.
3: No, it's not, guys. And from the spread perspective, I like both underdogs. You're going to call me crazy now. Georgia's dominated Kentucky. They've won 10 straight games. The last four games they've won by an average margin of victory of 17.5 points per game. But let's keep in mind that Georgia does have their rivalry game with Florida the following week. I know yeah. they didn't look good a couple of weeks ago against Alabama but this is a very solid offense and defense alliance for Kentucky. And their secondary is very opportunistic. Haven't let up a touchdown pass over the last three weeks. They forced nine turnovers in during that span. I think they could be in this ballgame from start to finish. I, I don't think Georgia's as a, an elite team, as people hmm. think. And look for Terry Wilson and that offense for uh, Kentucky to run the football. I already took them plus the 14 and a half. I really like Kentucky to keep this game close. They haven't wow. de- defeated Georgia since 2009. I think they could be in this ball game in the fourth quarter. Yeah, now Kentucky looks scrappy. Georgia Tech hanging around with Notre Dame.
2: Listen, I <laughs> this is not an Irish thing. I laid three and a half with Boston College, so I watched an unnecessary amount of Georgia Tech last week. Um, That team's terrible. And now maybe Notre Dame lets it down coming off of what I thought was a pretty impressive victory. I don't know what you made of that victory, Joe. I mean, usually anyone that wins 45 to three, but they were only ten and a half point favorites, Notre Dame, and they rolled Pitt. Do you think it could be a trap spot for the Irish
3: laying a pretty big number? It could be a trap spot in the sense of I was with you. I was on Notre Dame for the first half. I laid six and a half and five and a half in that ball game. So happy to see them jump out to a dominating first half against the Panthers and Joey Yellen. The the big thing for me is wide receivers. We need to develop that elite wide receiver that they had last year. They're going to need that against Clemson. Kyron Williams can't carry this team, not just on the ground with the rushing attack, but in terms of his ability to catch the football in the short-to-intermediate passing game. Georgia Tech is a blue-collar team. I think they match up pretty well in the interior against Notre Dame's offensive line. They're going to look to run the football, keep Ian Book on the sidelines, and playing at home, guys, this is their Super Bowl. We saw Louisville step up a couple weeks ago. I know Georgia Tech did not look good against Clemson, got blown out by uh, Jerkovic and the crew for the Eagles, but I think Jeff Collins has this team ready, and I I think it's a close game. Uh, Now, I think Notre Dame wins, but I think it's Mm -hmm. in the area of about 14 to 17 points.
1: Wow. All right, Joe. Now we get to the point of our conversation that I'm excited about. Okay, These two teams that I'm calling my teams for the rest of the season, the, the early line has adopted them because I want to see chaos, right? So we're talking about number six, Oklahoma State, and number seven, Cincinnati. Two teams that still have zeros on the right side of their column. Now, I don't know if they're going to keep them, but if they do, I believe they got a chance to crash the party. So talk to me about these two teams because Oklahoma State got a big, Big win in conference against a ranked Iowa State. Last week, but now they have Texas and Ellinger in the crew, and I'm worried about them continuing on. In the same vein, Cincinnati, I thought looked good against SMU, kind of proving it with the defense that you talked about last week. But they don't have an easy matchup against Memphis this week. I see, you know, OK State and Cincinnati as the first uh, potential party crashers of them all. But they both have tough matchups this week. Do either one of them fall by the wayside? (laughs) you <laughs> I think one does, Dane, and you're not going to like it. I think it's Cincinnati.
3: It's one of my better bets for the weekend. I love (laughs) Memphis, and I rarely say that. Memphis has won five straight guys in the series by an average margin of victory of 15.2 points for a game. i got to go with my breakdowns. I really like Brady White. To me, this is a different team. Mm -hmm. I know Cincinnati dominated SMU. They rushed for 313 yards on the ground. I'm not putting a lot of weight thinking that SMU was the best team in the conference they had some defensive line issues to me this is going to be a very fast physical defensive front in memphis only giving up 3.1 yards per carry and 129 rushing yards per game they forced four turnovers last week against temple i hate to say it i took memphis plus the seven took him plus mm-hmm. the six and a half and i think they win the ball game outright because they have the better quarterback in brady white over desmond ritter
2: I, I like that Memphis team as well. I, I laid 13-and-a-half with them against Temple. Uh, I was surprised they didn't cover the number, but we came back around on that money line in the second half, and uh, it ultimately worked out. I think the tough thing for the Bearcats, when you compare it to the Cowboys, they have tough games, but they probably won't get enough credit for them. Memphis doesn't have a right. shiny, you know, 25 next to their name. Neither does UCF. They now beat SMU so bad. Eventually, SMU will probably lose almost a bit of credit. You compare that to Oklahoma State. Listen, Iowa State loses, but they're going to still hang around. Kansas State climbs, climbs, climbs the ladder. And what do you know? The Sooners are back in the mix after beating a team in TCU who I have zero respect for. They they had a fourth and one, and they punted in a game. They were down three touchdowns. So basically, TCU is completely dead to me. But what do you think about Oklahoma State's victory over Iowa State, ultimately a backdoor cover for Brock Tober, and then going up against Sam Ellinger and this Texas group?
3: Yeah, I'm with you, Kevin. Now, I picked Oklahoma State at the start of the year. So this is a situation where I'm a believer in the team, right? This is where I expected hmm. them to be, and I'm not backing down now. Now, I backed both teams last week. I had Oklahoma State minus 3.5, minus 2.5, pushed that matchup. Uh, but I won with Texas as well. I'm just not sold on the mindset of... Of the Longhorns, even though they stepped up last week against Baylor, there's a lot of dissension surrounding this team, and and that's a concern for me. Heading on the road, I know Tom Herman's a better underdog coach than he is a favorite, but Oklahoma State's won four of the last five. I think they have way too many weapons in this matchup. I think they cover this three-and-a-half-point number.
2: Now, if we're going to do chaos theory, then I, I hate to be dramatic, but I'm going to be. Is Tom Herman like on the ropes here at Texas? Because I feel like there were a lot of promises made about when he made this decision to come coach this football team, and I just don't think they're being delivered. I mean, the fact that this team is already out of the top 25, Joe, is incredibly disappointing. Do we believe that you know he might be coaching for his tenure each and every week now?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, he's getting five plus million to lead this team to the promised land. Took them to a ten and four record, knocked off Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, and ever since then they've regressed. So I'm with you. now you hear the off the field issues that this team is in turmoil. They're not behind their head coach. They're not behind their starting quarterback. Cool. There's a lot of rumblings going on. That's a that's a lot to ask for in terms of playing these marquee matchups each and every week to show that type of consistency. It's hard enough to win on the football field. When you have off-the-field issues and players questioning your head coach, that's a lot to ask. So a lot of pressure on Tom Merman. If they don't, like, let's say, run the table the rest of the way and blow mm-hmm. out everyone, hey, he could be on the outside looking for a job in 2021. Somebody call Hmm. our. That sounds like
1: uh, something we're hearing with a lot of teams in the state of Texas these days, pro and college. But I (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Here's what I want to ask you. You know, Joe, you're putting, you know, stakes through my heart here saying you think the Bearcats may go down. I like the fact that you're still with the Cowboys, but I've gotta push Chaos Theory with you. Another team that I believe is viable for Chaos Theory is the BYU Cougars, who have looked amazing, Joe, winning by like 30 points a game, and they do not have the task in front of, say, Cincinnati or in front of, say, Oklahoma State this week. Talk to me a little bit about BYU. I mean, they're four touchdown favorites i think they get past western kentucky but talk to me about what is the ceiling for this byu team if they maintain a zero on the right side of their column and you know since he falls by the wayside ultimately let's say okay state does get a loss whether it's in bedlam or elsewhere how high can the cougars go I think they can be there,
3: maybe five, maybe six. Uh, I mean, Ooh, and barring like, enough. let's say, I need four, Joe. I know. <laughs> I, I, I think they can get there. I mean, I think. Put it this way, guys. If, if if one SEC team, let's say Alabama, were to lose to Auburn or lose two games along the way, and then you have that type of argument, if Ohio State loses, uh, a Clemson, let's say, loses to not only Notre Dame but let's say at the end of the year they play Pitt and vatech Tech, very two very difficult ball games. Then I think. BYU has an argument I think it'll be very difficult for them to crack the party but if there is going to be a team that does it I mean BYU at at an undefeated record with Zach Wilson an underrated quarterback because of the pedigree I think the Cougars have a shot so do you think they'll go
1: undefeated then let me ask yeah I think there's a possibility can they run the table yeah they can so I mean their schedule is very manageable Okay, so I gotta put all my all my juju that I had behind the Cincinnati Bearcats and transfer that. It's done by you cougars. All right, well, I listen to Joe Lisi. If he's scared, then I gotta be scared. <laughs> I got one other question for you. On this vein, okay? We started, Joe, with the idea of the Big Ten getting going and all of the impacts that they have after just one week. Honestly, next week. The Pac 12 will get going, Joe. And I see real contenders potentially in Oregon or USC. So I want to ask you the same question. If Michigan can fly up, if Indiana can fly up, what about a team like Oregon, like the Trojans, who are, you know, respected and known nationally? If they do in a very truncated Pac 12 season, what if they run the table?
3: Yeah, that's a great point. I think they'll be in the college football playoff. I do not like Oregon, though, guys. They lose three of their four starters out of the secondary. Sine Poole, their starting offensive tackles gone. No quarterback to follow up Justin Herbert. That's going to be a huge order for Oregon. On paper, they look there, but I, I'm not buying into the Ducks. I would take USC with Keaton Slovis. Give you two dark horses. I like uh, Jaden uh, uh, Daniels with Arizona State and Herm Edwards, and I like Washington uh, with Jimmy Lake, their new, co- new coach in, in that matchup. They play defense, and that's what you need to crack the college football playoff. Keep an eye out for both of those dark horses. Let me quickly ask you before we let you go, Joe,
2: Najee Harris. Thirty to one to win the Heisman. Jalen Waddle out for the season. This guy has 14 touchdowns. His next closest country in the country is 10. Only two guys even have double digits. Sixth in total rush yards. Do I got a shot here if I take
3: Najee Harris at thirty to one to win the Heisman? You do, and I told you a couple of weeks ago on the show, I forget what I was on, I gave Waddle and and Najee Harris, I think I gave it to Ariel and Jared, as two under-the-radar picks. I mean, uh, granted, Najee Harris is a Derrick Henry type of player, and as long as Derrick Henry dominates on Sundays, I mean, that'll translate to the college game as well. So Najee Harris, 30-1, to solid pick. They're going to need to run the football as the season progresses too, guys. All
1: right, absolutely. Well, Joe, thanks for spending some time with us. We'll see which of these teams are still left standing when we talk next week. Thanks for spending some time with us. We'll see you next time around, Joe. Anytime, guys. Love the show.
3: Thanks, Joe.
0: .com Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24/7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid, sportsgrid.com.
1: Welcome back everybody. Right here on to the early line with Kevin and Kev. I love having Joe Leece on. That kind of insight is great. I like the fact that he buoyed parts of my chaos theory but had hmm. no problem telling me hey i don't know if since he gets through this week we will have our eyes on that but kev you know this is obviously all in the context of covid Right. We talked about yeah. how Wisconsin is going to be severely depleted. We talked about the risk of a Big Ten team. Um, you know, and kind of what their protocols are in terms of quarantining for three weeks and the impact yeah. that can have. If it's a really special player, you know, a la Tom Brady getting a concussion in Super Bowl, we'll see what happens. But we have news on this kind of front today in the top 25, Kev of college football, the thundering herd. Of Marshall, they have um, an issue now with one of their games. It looks like they are dealing with COVID, and there's been some decisions on their schedule.
2: Yeah, Marshall was uh, slated to play FIU on Friday as well, which would have been cool, a top 25 team. They would have been in action, one of the bigger uh, – a a big spot for them to probably show their metal a little bit. Uh, Doesn't look like, well, we're not going to be playing that. It it is postponed. And I I just want to say, as as far as Marshall goes – yeah. I mean, they're going to go undefeated, and they're going to, you know, they're in the top 25, but the problem is when they beat New- UMass by 45, it's not going to matter to anybody because that might not even be covering the number. And I'll even just throw out the team that sits right below them in the rankings, Coastal Carolina. Uh, they still got a couple of tough games this week. They're playing Georgia State, which is a good one. They got an App State meeting as well um, on yeah. the schedule. But, you know, this is the thing, like, BYU – Marshall Coastal, you might have uh, all of these teams go unbeaten, close out the year in the top fifteen, and that is still even valuable enough for guys like you and I. We get the bowl game. We just need one of them to like take out a a top team,
1: and then we can even more. Yeah. Yeah like, exactly. as has in the past, right? To be champion like, they actually UC, yeah. did belong, right? You know, I think Marshall and Coastal Carolina may be a bridge too far, even for yeah. me. But BYU, it's a legitimate conference. You know, Cincinnati, they're playing other ranked teams, and that's why Oklahoma State to me, and don't forget about the Pac-12, who haven't even started yet, right? If USC is undefeated, if Oregon is undefeated, boy, will they rise just as fast as Indiana or Michigan when we come back on the other side of the break we look at the National Football League and other places in the world where football is used in our two of the early life.